What's up? What's up? The Champagne Sharks. This is T. Go to. It doesn't matter. I don't care about Reddit. Go, this, this is what's important. <laughs> go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. I have enough Reddit followers. I have enough Twitter followers. I, I, I said Reddit. I meant Twitter. I have enough Twitter followers. This, I was going to say, you just threw our Reddit guys right under the bus. Yeah, yeah. And the, that was, that <laughs> like, was a mistake. I wasn't trying to throw Reddit. <laughs> you know what? We were talking about Reddit. We were talking about Reddit before we started uh, getting on air. So that's why I got confused. No. Forget my Twitter account. Go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. $5 a month get double the episodes double the new episodes over 80 back patreon episodes and um we've been on a tear with the patreon some of our latest patreon episodes i think have been like uh pretty good uh, yeah been- man i agree 100 percent this is this is d uh you catch me on twitter at mdmill79 yeah i was gonna say that man um the episode we did with Benny was really good. I really enjoyed uh, chopping it up with him, especially listening to the portion that I that I had uh, missed out on before I joined you guys. It was it was really yeah. good. And then um, uh, the guy up in Canada, I, I'm sorry, brother, I forget your name, man. I, oh, Andre. Andre. Oh man, that episode. I've listened to that like three times. You know, both. both yeah, a parts lot of, of people it. like that one. A lot of people like that. And you know what? With uh, this latest fuckery from Ancestry Canada, man. <laughs> you know, I think it was very timely. <laughs> Like like that that shit, yo. Ancestry took that shit down, and you know I I felt kind of bad for Ancestry, the U.S. branch, because they were getting a lot of people adding them, and it was actually Ancestry Canada that got that actually put the commercial up. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I, but then that makes sense now because um they had that little thing about you know we can go north to the border or whatever it was. Yeah, and people thought they met like the Mason Dixon line and up north, so a lot of think piece people were like the north of the U.S. was just as bad as the south you know people had to correct them like no they're actually talking about canada when they say the north not that it makes the commercial any better because it's still bullshit (laughs) for those of you who don't know if you've been under a rock the last 24 hours there is a commercial put out by ancestry.com I guess it's the Canadian portion of it. And uh, why don't I just play it? I got the, I got, I think I got the clip loaded up. Abigail, we can escape to the north. There's a place we can be together across the border. Will you leave with me? Okay, and then it says, without you, the story stops here. Uncover and the then lost chapters of your- there's like a um, a screen where you can enter the name Abigail Williams. And then I guess from there, the uh, the ancestry pops up and you see that, you know, these a white man and a, and a black female slave ran away together. And I guess they were trying to make it to the border in Canada. And I guess the moral of the end of the story is that they made it and they started a family. And you can go on Ancestry.com and trace your lineage to see if you were, in fact, uh, a descendant of the this interracial couple. So I. <laughs> And that caused a, yeah. a, a shit storm on Twitter. It was, oh man, that, but you know what's funny with that, with that uh, commercial? And I have a lot of rants I want to do today, like. Uh, oh man, me and general. you both. Oh dude, I, I'm really tired of pro-blackness right now. Like I'm so tired of it. But, and this is something that like, I hope Ken gets on because I know he has a lot of gripes too, but I, I'm just tired of the circular arguments and all the stupid um, majoring the minors that happens. Cause when I saw that, I'm like, I bet you somebody's gonna get on 
and just get sidetracked in a, such a stupid argument on this. And then sure enough, like, you know, started on track and then like sure enough, so sure enough, some people came on, they were like, a lot of people came on, were defending the, the uh, commercial, like, you know, why are interracial couples so persecuted? It's like, oh it's no. Like, yeah, oh, a lot of people man. were putting it up today and then everyone had to start arguing with them. Crystal and Ka Crystal and Karazin, of course. she's kind of crazy. So right. I don't expect anything from her, you know, but so I don't want to use her as an example because right. it's not fair to use her as an example of anything typical because she's uniquely disturbed so i'm not going to count her that's like punching at an easy target but there were a lot of people who were just like y'all are always having issues with interracial couples and it's not even about that why you know? die on that hill though like okay let's say that's the oh, case why why there's why? no there's no hill too stupid for people to die on online that's what i so guess not annoying yeah like that that was in poor taste man you know you, you can't romanticize an era like that the antebellum south like what the fuck yeah people were going onto uh youtube and you know what slave play twitter isn't full effect that's like a real movement now like people mm -hmm. and you just think funny with slave with slave play right mm -hmm. that shit got a lot of grief and everything but here's what i don't get why did Issa ray get so much less grief like she basically did it first we sit she did a sitcom within a sitcom on her show called do north uh -huh. and it was basically scandal meets 12 years a slave where all like the titillating interracial sex and and forbidden love of like you know scandal this was on uh was. on insecure on insecure yeah oh shit it I didn't was, know that. Okay. oh yeah yeah it was it was called do north and the white media loved it there was so much coverage there was so much coverage for example i'll send you a link now so you can see just example but if you google like do north insecure you will see a bunch of for example I'll give you some sample titles. The story behind primetime parody, Due North and Insecure. Insecure's Due North, the joke that inspired it. That's in Vulture. Actually, New York Magazine did two stories on this one show within a show. Insecure, Due North show explained, Hollywood Reporter. That was, now boss did, um, Black Twitter is obsessed with Insecure's swirly slavey soap opera. No, we are not. Yeah, yeah. Please don't put us all it's, in that bullshit. It's a certain segment of black twitter <laughs> that's obsessed with exactly. do more <laughs> and i wouldn't even call them black twitter right uh, black twitter is its own thing i think they have minimal overlap but yeah i mean they did a lot of shows within the show and it really shows uh it's very interesting how things like boss up all these mainstream white sites really jumped on that and it was it was really it was really interesting to me how a lot of things about that show was was extremely tacky. I, you know what? It's funny. I didn't have the endurance to stick that show out past a few episodes of the first season. I didn't even really get into season two except for um, I, I think a few of the major plot lines involving the Lawrence character. Like I wanted to see yeah. what the what the online chatter was about because there was that whole thing with Issa fans versus Lawrence fans and all this type of thing and um so i was just checking it yeah, out with regards I, I, to that but. i mean i've said this before but the whole show is just a giant twitter argument like oh. there's no depth there's no overarching themes or anything it's just basically i want to create twitter arguments on film so that people on twitter can just continue the argument online and the next week is gonna be a whole new shit. There's like there's like zero continuity in that show. Uh, I watched three seasons. I don't know why. I think because I wanted to like hate watch it for <laughs> the podcast. Right. And there's not even enough meat to bash. Yeah, it seemed like the plot lines of that that show were really just just extra thin, man. Like 
super thin and it was just nothing that I really outside of the drama of the relationship between Issa and uh, the Lawrence dude what was really going on in that show that really made people really give a fuck to stay stick through it I, I have no idea but you know I guess there's uh, it's not written for me that's for sure like a lot Atlanta is a show where not a lot happens plot wise right like 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 not a lot happens on Atlanta plot wise uh-huh. uh, it's the overall arc but each episode goes kind of deep or you know has a lot to think about whereas Issa Racial like it's like it's not really about it's just like childish it's just like you know who's dating who, who you know what bothers me about Issa Ray really like bugs me about her with, you know along with the usual like cosplay of uh black american life like this is one thing i realized right a lot of ADOS, a lot of american black people they really don't understand like diaspora thinking mm-hmm. like they really don't get it and i admit some ADOS people in the ADOS crowd go a little too far as far as like all this shit they accuse black immigrants of right but they at least have a certain amount of understanding even if they take it too far sometimes some of them like you know might go too far but a good amount of them kind of understand like diaspora thinking whereas a lot of ados are very like naive about yeah. how diaspora thinking works mm-hmm. right and how these people kind of view them like one thing people understand is like black means multiple things like somebody from like the diaspora can say oh these damn black people and by black people, let me reverse it, right? Some some ADOS, some some diaspora people will talk about, you know, black people. And by black, they mean racially black. And then other times, they say the word black, the same word black, but depending on the context, black means nigger, right? And nigger as in interchangeable ADOS. So sometimes when someone from diaspora is talking about things that have to do with blackness, they're just talking about like racially. So it's like, it becomes very confusing if you don't get the code because this is what is actually happening. Sometimes you'll hear them talk and you'll be thinking, oh, this person clearly knows they're black, but that's not an issue. They understand, or we understand that like we're racially black, but black in terms of like being a nigger, in terms of uh, being um, ADOS, as far as ADOS being synonymous with being like a slave, they don't think they're that. And if you use the word interchangeably, you're not knowing which context to listen for, it creates kind of a confusion or, you know, and do you know the real giveaway with that? How you can really tell how it is? Because there's a lot of projection that goes on in the discourse, right? Here's what I noticed, right? They like to accuse ADOS. They say, oh, ADOS think they have a monopoly on blackness, right? And then what they really mean is they associate, they themselves are the ones that associate blackness with ADOS. But in that sense, they're meaning blackness as far as being like a nigger, as far as singing like Beyonce, as far as like twerking, as far as rap, you know? So it's like they kind of switch back and forth. And the way you can tell that they're projecting it, right, is if you ever notice, whenever um, ADOS people start talking about, hey, we're not going to think of the world, the diaspora is one giant thing of blackness. We're going to actually differentiate our own tribe the same way Jamaicans differentiate themselves. African people like Nigerians differentiate themselves. Um, even within e- even within greater Nigerian culture, they differentiate themselves, you know. Yeah, Igbo. Right. And all, yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And as uh, soon as like, you know, you say that, they'll be like, oh, you're denying we're black. Even though the, even though the person didn't even say that, and then what I started realizing is that's kind of their own insecurity. Like they associate 
blackness with ADOS. So when you kind of shine a light on the fact that they're not ADOS, they make the jump. You're saying we're not black, but do you think that that's done deliberately though? Because I think a lot of times that is a, a deliberate, a deliberate tactic that they use. I think that for me personally, I think that they know full well the difference between discussing cultural blackness versus, you know, phenotypically black or West African or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I think they fully well understand the difference between the two, but they try to uh, commingle it when it's suitable for them. This is a very tough thing to break down because yes and no. And this is what I'll say by that. This is going to sound like a cop out. I'm going to admit it. It's going to sound like a cop out. But I think it's kind of like when, you know, we talk about the psychology of all the shit white people do. Mm -hmm. And some of my breakdown, hey, T, hey, D, do you think they really do this complicated calculus? And it's like maybe at some point somebody did. But it's been handed down and normalized so much that even though this is the psychology behind it, they don't really it's unexamined, you know. This isn't something to like let them off the hook, but like, like I had to kind of figure this out by kind of examining, you know, ways that I grew up and stuff. I wouldn't say it's something like anybody sat down and said, hey, you know, I think I, I think one of the reasons why people get so a- angry, like a lot of these um, Caribbean and African people and like argue with ADOS, but the arguments don't really make sense is because there's a cognitive dissonance that comes from they're not really examining what they really, you know, no one's ever challenged them to really unpack why they do the things they do or their own like hypocrisy. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Right. And that's the thing I noticed a lot of ADOS people, they kind of think of a lot of these diaspora black people as being these uber, it's almost like kind of like how white supremacists like view the Jews as like these super conniving, like, you know, the octopus with the tentacles and stuff. Yeah. Like, I just feel like... A lot of the stuff is just, you know, it's a great, well, I think it's a great analogy, but I might say it and it makes no sense. So I'll let you and the audience decide, right? Like, um, if you ever read evolutionary psychology, right? One of the bad ways it tends to get written is they say like, oh, the purpose of thumbs so that people can grab things and uh, monkeys could climb trees. And then, you know, we evolved to have thumbs or the purpose of thorns on a rose is that it keeps predators off and it allows like the roses that didn't have thorns were eaten by predators and didn't get to pass their uh, genetics on and so forth and, and so forth like like they say like humans have an instinctive fear of snakes right and they say oh the purpose of the baby being born with instinctive fear of snakes is that uh, we evolved that way you know and they kind of make it seem like genes think. Right, right. And that, they, <laughs> yeah. and that the genes are like, hmm, I think I'm going to develop these genes where it's really like a crapshoot. Like, uh, I read a good evolution book, and what it really said is that this is a very sloppy way of writing, but it makes for exciting reading. But what it really is, is probably an example of everything existed. But all the things that, you know, it was like a crapshoot, like a million things existed. You know, there might have been like a bunch of people who, when they were born, they're like, hey, what's that green thing slithering there? I think it looks cool. And they like run to it and stuff. You get you bit, know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they get bit, but all those people will die. So right. there was no grand purpose. We're just a product of generations of dumb luck. Like mm-hmm. we just had, like, like for example, like shit smells bad to us. Right. Spoiled food smells bad to us. And when you read an evolution book, you know, it'll say uh, evolutionary psychology. It's like, you know, we evolved to, they make everything sound purposeful. Like we, we evolved, evolved to have, to, have a, um, to smell stinky smells, 
to so we can yeah, not get per- sick from eating, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything has a purpose, has a purpose that, yeah. Everything has a purpose. When the real thing is, there was probably a group of humans that, you know, when they were born, like, shit just smelled like flowers and hot bread to them, you know? And they were just like, oh, let's just chow down shit. This shit smells like a, a bakery. This is like a, like, like this latrine just smells like a Panera bread to me. You know what I'm saying? And those people would just die in like one generation. <laughs> like, you know, the, that one, that one generation of shit eaters would just be gone. Like, but they're not making it to the next, the next yeah, step of evolution. Yeah, exactly. I think like white supremacy is kind of like that too. Like, I just think the people who practice white supremacy were the ones that thrived. You know what I'm saying? If you did not have, and probably before then, whatever drive caused them to do the white supremacy, maybe that drive was making them conquer all these fucking tribes. Like, you know, like all those Vikings, if you ever read like Viking history and like uh, those old tribes and the old history of europe when they took down rome and you know what what the gaul you know all those people that became the english and the french you know Mm -hmm. those 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 dirty viking tribes that basically took down rome and then created like europe like they were just like just you were just fighting all day long and conquering and just raping and pillaging raping and pillaging like i'm I'm watching this show called last kingdom Mm -hmm. it's on netflix it's really interesting oh yeah yeah yeah. i I was peeping that out i i don't know if i put it in my queue to watch next yeah yeah, but all the whole shit is just Danes, Gauls, British, like all these people just all they do is just build, raise armies, conquer each other, raise armies, conquer each other, rape, 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 pillage, pillage, pillage. Like, you know, mm-hmm. every single like day it's like, hey, let's go invade this village now. And you just go and you just hack everybody down with the sword. And now they just kind of like Europe is that they still have that mindset. That's what imperialism was. That's what the Victorian era was. They were all wearing top hats with bicycle mustaches and riding these funky bicycles with the front wheel like five times bigger than the back wheel and dressing in tuxedos but that was just a nice veneer over that fucking viking shit like you right. know except they not. have to fucking dominate right in the mm-hmm. current days they do it with banks and shit they like that they do it with banks yeah the, the same way like fucking amazon like jeff bezos the guy just can't fucking pay a living wage he'd rather lose half his fortune because he can't keep his dick in his pants and he has to send text sex to like you know some chick with silicone lips and silicone <laughs> boobs right he'll, he'll lose half his fortune off of that dumb shit wife got 34 to pay billion wage. Man. yeah yeah he lose half his net worth just on that fucking but, amazon you know, employees so like, are in the warehouses pissing in the corner in bottles because they are afraid to go take yeah. a bathroom break you know this is anyway don't even get me started on that shit <laughs> yeah 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 but it's that domination like you know he can't just let the peasants like that's that feudalism that's that surf shit like you know what i mean like uh i'll throw a big feast in the in the castle but god forbid like my serfs ask me for shit like like that last kingdom shit is a is a great show because that that mindset is still you know we don't really come from that but we kind of try to learn it to fit in you know but i don't really think we're really built for it we try though but i don't think we're really built for it like uh like it's funny black people are thought of as like ruthless but we have like a lot of empathy almost to like a handicap yeah 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 i I agree with that 100 percent. yeah yeah except when it comes to dogs like when dogs when it comes to dogs like that that's when all bets are off like you know they but kill them all Uh, yeah but not just that like like, oh white people have like a whole bunch of empathy for like a a dog 
you know, but like a homeless like black guy, it'll be like, oh God, call the cops. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I saw that uh, that clip with the with <laughs> with the white uh, the white I guess they're uh, adoptive parents of these the little black girls or whatever, and the dude was going oh, off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were, they didn't have no and pants dude, on or something. Forty four degree weather. Yeah, yeah. I bet that, you they didn't have their dogs in there. Boy, them dogs probably had little sweaters and everything. Uh. Oh yeah, the dogs had like. <laughs> Probably a shearling and shit. Yeah. But, but yeah, like, I think no one had to tell Jeff Bezos, hey, your job is to dominate, like, everything. That's just, that's the code that's been handed down mm. from those days. No one had to sit him down and tell him, like, you know, hey, you know, you can build a rotating house, you know, and blow half your money, like, you know. Well, shit, you see it in the, in the philosophy of his company, man. I mean, look, Amazon started out as strictly online, right? And, and now they're... St- they're experimenting with the idea of going into certain brick and mortar locations and pop-up stores and all this type yeah. of shit. So it's not enough to dominate the online market. Now they want to step back into the space where the Walmarts ran off all of the mom and pop shops and then they want to go back and then establish their own little pop-up shops and brick and yes, mortar locations. It's ever, fucking insane, Nothing man. is ever enough. Nothing is ever enough. Yeah. And that's what capitalism is. Like nothing, nothing, nothing. What's the next thing enough. that we can go into to, to just continue to spread like a virus? You know, it's just, it's, there's no such thing as staying in your lane. Right. Like, 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 why do you go to Dwayne Reed and there's fucking sushi there? Like, like, why? Like, like <laughs> why, do, why do you have to fucking have sushi? Like, like, you don't need sushi. Like, right. just, just, they just conquer things just to conquer them. Amazon is groceries. Like, if this anything they don't have, like, sometimes another company is doing something and you have a partnership with them. Like, why don't you just keep your partnership with them? Why do you have, to have your own version? But for example, like, Snapchat exists. Instagram does make their own Snapchat service. Like, just be a good Instagram. Why do you have to do your own Snapchat? Right. And it's like everybody wants to do what everyone else is doing. Like Dwayne Reed and is a is a drugstore in New York. I might have made a regional reference that maybe you didn't get, but I, I think Walgreens bought it. But all those drugstores now have they put a Starbucks inside inside of the fucking um, drugstore inside a drugstore. And in New York already, there's already a Starbucks on every block. Just be a good drugstore. Why do you have to have a Starbucks? But it just bothers them. This is something that they might be able to take over that they can't. And then they have to keep closing these different like arms of their business. But yeah, Amazon does that all the time. Always trying to create competition with other people. Right now you're seeing it with the streaming. Like they just, they're not happy street. staying in their lane, man. It's it's, it's amazing yeah. to me, you know, and they keep, there is no satisfaction with where they're at, man. It's just always, okay, what's the next plateau that we can reach and dominate, man. It's just, yeah. Next thing you're going to exactly. be hearing about so them building think- rockets and shit. They're going to be trying to go into space or some shit, you know, it's just, and then when somebody has that rocket, instead of saying, hey, maybe we can have a partnership where we kind of funnel business to the rocket thing and we take like a cut of it, that's not going to be enough. Every company is going to make their own rocket. This right. the Amazon right. rocket. Right. And we're going to try to crush the Netflix rocket. And the you know? Facebook and, rocket. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that used to happen. Some of you would just have a lane and dominate it. And people would be like, you know what? That's your lane. We'll do partnerships with you. You know? Yeah. We'll handle this part of it. And we'll send all the stuff. Not everybody wants to have their own proprietary technology. And to tie this back to the original point, uh, you asked about <laughs> bring it the, back the around. <laughs> yeah, bring it back around. You asked for the like, diaspora people. Like I just think we had shit that worked for us, and we just do it, and we don't really think about it because nobody ever sat down and really talked about it. Or like to give it to give an example, like this is kind of a hard truth to admit right okay but, let's hear it um i might get a lot of uh black 
about what I'm about to say, but there's a certain amount of given upness that has happened in the diaspora to here with the immigrant situation, because you have to think about it this way. And this is not to say it's right or wrong. This is not me saying, yo, the people who did this were wrong, but you've got to think about the sampling. And what I mean by the sample is, okay, who are the immigrants that came here? Those are people who were like, you know what? I'm giving up on this shit, like right or wrong. This is too much of an uphill battle. You're talking about in their own home countries? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go here to someplace else and build here. So it's kind of an individualistic mindset. Mm. You know, even though when you come here, you can build coalitions. So it's not totally individualistic. You know, like you see like your Chinatowns, you see your little Haiti, you see your little Jamaicas. But to a certain degree, you're already kind of selected for that. You know what I mean? Because the people who are the most into I'm going to stay and fight and community build are most likely to have not come in the first place. Those are the people who are. But that doesn't say that the former is the optimal, the smart strategy, because it's like if the odds are stacked against you, what can you really do? Like, you know, this is not this to judge. This is not this is not a judgment call. This is not me saying that the people were wrong to do so or whatever, because it also comes down to like, OK, if you're at your job and everybody is cheating on on something and you want to be the only person to be honest, like at a certain point, if no one else is being honest with you, you pretty much have to, you know, Either. go into the same system. All, all that's going to happen is you're going to fall behind. Right. Or you're going to have you know? to leave so, altogether. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what happens when, when the place gets too corrupt. How much can an individual do? You know what I mean? So I yeah. can't really I can't really judge people for doing that. I mean, what I'll judge people on is you shouldn't come to America and then shit on ADOS for not doing a good enough job here when... Right. Truth be told, they've probably done more to reform America than you managed to succeed in doing and reforming your home country. Because that 1965 act is pretty much created by um, the Civil Rights Act that, you know, that black ADOS people fought for. Yeah. You know, you know, so it's like that whole shit that allowed you to come here is... ADOS doing the most they could with America, you know? So that's my, that's the only level to which I judge people on is, uh, you know, I understand the situation, but then don't come here and act like you kind of built this, you know? Yeah, and I agree with that 100%. The thing that always gets me is when you come here and you shit on, on ADOS, right? But see, the thing is you left your country, right? If we were, if you were, and these are select individuals who either had the bread to be able to make it over here, they already were, you know, considered middle class or fairly wealthy in their home country, so they could afford to come. I want to see what would happen if you sent a bunch of Africans over here, you know, a bunch of Nigerians, the, the everyday working class, poor Nigerians who are not in school, who are not in college. And then you start sending millions of them over here. It'll be a different situation. See, the thing with ADOS, we can't send our best. We're, we, our best and brightest live amongst, you know, quote unquote, the worst of us. There is no no way to camouflage anything. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, no, it totally, it totally, um, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. And you know something? I think there's something that people say but people don't really understand right mm -hmm. one of the things that people keep saying is uh ados paved the way for the civil rights act of 1965 they paved the way for the wave of immigrants but when you just say that but you don't explain the mechanism i think people don't get it you know what i'm saying so it's like it becomes like this kind of vague thing or it seems like an overstatement 
And I wish mm. more people would actually break down everything and that that this is. This is what it is. Yeah, yeah. The Immigration Act of 1965 is called the Hart Seller Act. You know, those are the two people in Congress who like crafted it. And it was mm-hmm. the Immigration Naturalization Act of 1965. And the best way to understand it is to understand immigration before that. Immigration was incredibly fucked up. Like the way immigration used to work is they it used to be straight up racist. They used to make quotas based on like certain races. Like we need this amount of white people, this amount, and it would outright ban certain people. Okay, Filipinos, no, this, that. Like now it's not like that. I mean, they might have some like low key racism that they can exercise or different things they can do, but it kind of has to be at least on the surface equal rights. They they disguise it in the form of like a type of nationalism. So if you, if you're an immigrant and you come over here and you, you say the right bootstrappy sounding things, then I think that's when they're like, okay, yeah, we, we, you know, you come over here, you're poor, you don't have anything. You're going to work to build yourself up. Don't accept any handouts. If you start, if you use that kind of language, then they say, okay, you're good. Come on. You know what I mean? That's what I think yeah, it is. Like, well, they can screen for that bootstrappy stuff by saying, hey, we're looking for students or we're looking right. for people who are hired by employers mm-hmm. or people who come here because of H-1Bs or people. But, you know, within those categories, they can't say we need 20 percent Indian um, H-1Bs, 10 percent black, 80 uh, percent white European and immigration used to be straight up fucking like that. They had something called a, a quota system, right. you know, and each nationality was assigned a quota based on his representation and past U.S. census figures. So say like uh, it's like 10 percent black. So they're like just because we want to keep white supremacy alive. And this is a, like insane. Um, they would say, OK, since it's 10 percent black now, we can only accept 10 percent black immigrants. We can't let anything happen to fuck up the racial balance. And what a lot of people don't understand, and this is how things really changed, was when the civil rights thing happened and all this kind of stuff happened, kind of pointing out discrimination, it made it so that you couldn't keep, like, you can't have all this desegregation, all this busing, all this Equal Rights Act, all this 14th Amendment enforcement and interstate commerce clause enforcement, all these different things that you're doing to kind of create equal rights, but then still have on the books immigration law saying like 5% Filipinos and stuff. So people like Lyndon Johnson and stuff explicitly said like, you know, in this age of civil rights and all these different things, if you track developments in civil rights with the developments in immigration, you see that as things happen domestically, there would end up being corresponding bills to change things immigration wise, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, like in 1963, John F. Kennedy got involved in immigration reform and in a June 1963 speech called the quarter system intolerable. And I'm reading from a website now, uh, on history.com. I think these are people through the History Channel. The civil rights movement focused on equal treatment regardless of race and nationality led many to view the quarter system of the immigration system as backward and discriminatory. Yeah, so a lot of people saw applying the same arguments against domestic discrimination to international. And Lyndon Johnson uh, explicitly said that it, that we can't have all these changes in civil rights and still practice immigration the way it is now. When he ended up signing, we're breaking up a little bit on that last I, part. I Can you say that again? You said Lyndon Johnston's. Uh, Lyndon Johnson brought it up, but also Lyndon Johnson brought it up, and what's his what's his name? John F. Kennedy also brought up brought up how, in light of the advances that we're doing in, in civil rights, we can't sit around and accept. We can't leave this the way it is. It, it, 
it moved the Overton window. That's a great way to put it. You know, the Overton window is like this idea that, do you know what the Overton window is? No, I never heard that term before. I'm pulling it from Wikipedia. The Overton window is a term for the range of ideas tolerated in public discourse, also known as the window of discourse. Oh, okay. The term is named after Joseph P. Overton, who claimed that an idea's political viability depends on whether or not it falls within its range. So basically, as you introduce certain topics, like for example, now we talk about gay marriage and trans rights and all that stuff that's in the Overton window now like mm -hmm. you can talk about things in that range whereas back in the day like right now with civil rights and stuff reparations is now in the Overton window whereas before like it, it wasn't like every time you introduce something even if it gets rejected right now by introducing it you've moved the Overton window oh okay so it's similar to the Hegelian dialectic in, in a sense yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah okay. exactly so so it's like you've kind of moved that window of, of accept acceptable discourse and right. uh yeah yeah so, so it's like a lot of times people like to introduce ideas even if they lose just because for example um some people think of Occupy Wall Street as something that was like a failed movement but it moved the Overton window I think so much that a lot of this new socialism this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and this Bernie Sanders uh, resurgence, I think owes something to that Overton window that Occupy Wall Street mm -hmm. was able to create and move. The Civil Rights Act kind of, it did that with, with civil rights in general, not just civil rights act, civil rights in general did that with immigration. Like it changed what was thinkable or unthinkable immigration. Yeah, similar with uh, the gay rights struggle over the last 15, 20 years. It started off as a conversation about tolerance and then um, from tolerance it went to um, let's talk about gay marriage. And then now it's, you know, we're at where we are today. And so it started off incrementally, like how you just discussed. You put the idea out there of tolerance and then you build upon that. Is that, am I on the right track with that? Yeah. As far yeah, as what you yeah. say? Okay, got you, got you. Okay. Same, same with the idea of like moving left. Like some people might say there's still a right in the left, but today's right wing is like way more left wing than the old right wing. Like some people might say like, the right wing in, you know, is in some ways more entertaining of things than what might have been a left winger a hundred years ago, you know, as far gotcha. as, uh, yeah, the whole Overton win because window. Because the paradigm has kind of shifted in that direction now. So they have to get on board and kind of adjust to certain things and move their positions a little bit, except when it comes to black people, of course, they'll never, <laughs> 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 you know, that's the, what we just seem to be that one thing is just like, uh, Nah, I can't get, I can't help the niggas. I, uh. Yep, yep, yep. So it's like a lot of it tracks because I think the Civil Rights Act was in 1964. So the Civil Rights Act bars discrimination on grounds of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, right? So if you have, and then Robert Kennedy, right, at the time said this, he said, Everywhere else in our national life, we have eliminated discrimination based on national origins. He told the congressional hearing. This is a congressional hearing to kind of fight over the I'm sorry, you said or, Robert F. Kennedy? Yeah. No, okay. no, no, Robert Kennedy. I forget if he had a Robert his middle Kennedy. name was. Yeah, just say Robert Kennedy. I don't know what his okay. middle initial was. Yeah, but Robert Kennedy said in the congressional floor when they were debating the 1965 Immigration Act. And keep in mind, this was a year earlier the Civil Rights Act happened. So, so, so try to imagine the Civil Rights Act bars discrimination on grounds of race, color, religion, sex, national origin. Then a year later, uh, Robert Kennedy is the attorney general and he's connecting that legislation explicitly to the national origins quota system. And he says, this is a quote, 
Elsewhere in our national life, we have eliminated discrimination based on national origins, he told the congressional hearing. Yet this system, referring to immigration, is still the foundation of our immigration law, you know, referring to, to the national quarter system. So, you know, it's, it's, there's several people who explicitly made that, made that connection. So it's like, you can't change one thing, but if you keep looking at the history of immigration reform and look at the immigrant, the history of civil rights, it happens a lot. A lot of times there's a major improvement in domestic situation about discrimination. And then like a year or two later, they do a corresponding expansion with the, um, immigration policy and stuff. And I think the mechanism is good to know because I feel like a lot of people just keep saying like, you know, we fought, oh, you can't be here without us, but they don't actually explain it. And they don't realize that because there's a lot of people who don't believe anything unless they hear from a white person, Yeah, you know, and white people have explicitly said, whereas Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, uh, Lyndon Johnson explicitly said, we're doing this because of all the stuff, you know, which unless what you want to say is that uh, ADOS didn't fight for their own civil rights, which, you know, is patently untrue you know um, yeah but yeah so i mean that's that's basic where that comes from but to go to go back to the point i was making about like a lot of diaspora uh black people is i think a lot of us it's kind of like hey the state the system the community the nation has not really worked for us where we're from you know there's no protections there's no anything you can't you can't even call the police to help you if something goes wrong you know there's no property rights you know whatever so i can only rely on myself and i've got to like survive and also there's like a mindset of i've got to provide for people back home so there's this Uh, mindset of extraction. I got to like, you know, like for example, Mexican people and remittances or like Nigerians and remittances, that's like a big thing. A lot of people, uh, I think Latin Americans do that too. You have a lot of people who funnel a lot of money back home to their home countries and then go there to retire. Right. Yeah. Off of of the beach. Yeah. I know. I actually work with a guy that that did that. Yeah. A lot of them uh, do that. So that money is not being kept here. It's being sent abroad. You know, yeah, there's a couple of black and, people that are starting to get into that now, too. Now, it's not their home countries, but I'm just saying the idea of you, they you choose make a all place your money, to, they right. choose a place to be, yeah, the yeah, Philippines or whatever, yeah, yeah, it's becoming like the newer dream, the new escape, this idea. So, I think if your family came here with this mindset, like you're gonna work as hard as you can, you're gonna be the best you can be because you, know, you can't count on anybody but yourself, you know because of where we came from or whatever. And we have to leave that behind. So I think a lot of those people are going to come here with this idea of let's have racial solidarity and build a black nation. They just came from a black nation that, you know, nobody looked out for each other in the big picture. Yeah. yeah like how are you going to come from a nation that was all like black, then come here and expect someone to have like um black solidarity when the person that was prosecuting you, the person that was persecuting you, the person black. that was exiling you was like uh, black. Your mind's not going to work that way. And so is that where a class politics comes in? Perhaps maybe we can, uh, you know, become better educated in the class aspects of, uh, of you know, intergroup oppression and things like that. Or is it, yeah, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it even a class dynamic, though, if you if you look at it? Well, from well, that well, yeah, well, I think there is. But see, this is what I think the problem is, right? I don't think the problem is whether there's more of a class dynamic in the diaspora than there is domestic black life. Because I think the truth is, personally, there is a lot of class shit in ADOS history too. But the problem is race is such the national bugaboo here. Like America has a very underdeveloped class vocabulary. Like they'll just break everything down to race. That's why, that's why I laugh at like these socialists who kind of act like these white socialists who kind of act like 
and actually some black ones too, who act like uh, black people are somehow kind of the stumbling block for class solidarity. Like, like those just working class <laughs> white guys who are just <laughs> chomping at the bit to just uh, be locked in arm in arm in lockstep with you know poor blacks and with just those pesky blacks. Keep, the, yeah, <laughs> go ahead, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I mean, we we always end like, up as that for some reason. Isn't that funny yeah, how that yeah. works? In, yeah. in, in what universe, like black people have the room to be snobs? If, if black have been dying to be accepted by anybody, you know what right. I mean? Like, uh, in most black races was like defensive, you know, because you've dealt with those working class white people for like a while, and you know. Oh um, man, yeah, that's yeah. my background, man. You know, I, I yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, my family's I, working class too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I we, you yeah. and I discussed this before in earlier episodes of the show, man. Like some of the stuff that goes on in you know highly unionized jobs and stuff like that, man. It's it's a, the the working environment for a lot of black people in those situations, man. Is is they're better than me, you know, because I can I'll be there. I'll have to whoop somebody's ass. I, I some of the stuff yeah, that I read and they about, find the, and there's a lot of ways to get a racist result without having an overtly racist policy with the way the unions work and the last hired, last hired, first fired and certain things they can do to kind of, you know, licensing and things that kind of block out a lot of black people from being able to participate at the same. Uh, the Wire kind of goes into that a little bit. And uh, what is it, the third yeah, it season? Does. Yeah, the second season. Very second underestimated. Season? Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people kind of underrated whatever season that was because they want i think like a lot of white middle class yuppie like espn watching type of white guys like a lot of bros they got off on vicariously living through like omar and stuff so i think and i think a lot of black people kind of the same way it was kind of like hip-hop to them so i think a lot of them both white and black underestimated a lot of the knowledge that was being dropped in that season because it wasn't as sexy as like you know the dope boys in the corner and the and the Stringer Bell, Omar type of shit. You know? Yeah, he, he tried to bowl. He went, you know, there's one thing about that that series, man. He went into he, he the hood, then into education, then into organized labor, then into the media, then into the school system. Like, he kind of went deep into a lot of different um, aspects yeah. of what makes everything as fucked up as it is. Now, I don't know ultimately what the answer was at the end of it. You know, I, I'm not very satisfied with how that ended, but just exposing yeah. people to how some of that stuff goes um it's very real man you know i become very convinced that he hired a lot of good writers but he himself is kind of soft-headed because that dude he's a perfect example of sometimes twitter ruins people for you that dude on twitter david simon the person who created the show so awful oh, oh man 24 so 7 awful. access to people like who you admire yeah. from afar and then it, it, that's one thing about social media man like especially for people that are super active on their social media like there's nothing left to the imagination anymore and like they could just totally fuck up what you thought they were <laughs> <laughs> what you yeah. had in your mind yep. about them, yep. man, is, is crazy. Like, imagine you had this crush on some beautiful celebrity back in the day, and then, you know, she gets on her Twitter or Instagram and just says the most insane shit and you're like oh no well that happens with that happens with a lot of ig models like you know uh a lot of ig models they can get they get zero engagement on twitter like they have to stay on instagram but you know yeah and on instagram they could put like a long meandering like you know kundalini ass paragraph that makes no <laughs> sense a bit super long and dudes will sit through it and, you know, and be like, you're so inspiring and stuff. But no, clap those cheeks, please. Thought, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Once you post any thoughts without the. And I feel like Alana, those girls try to hold dudes hostage with the cheeks so they can listen to people. <laughs> so they can force you to listen to them, you know, because yeah. you ever see how some of them put long ass paragraphs. And it's like, you know, ain't nobody reading this shit. Ain't nobody right? reading. Like, I've even seen them put the, the paragraphs with the with the clapping of the cheeks. They like. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. Oh, no, totally, totally. No, they do that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. They put the paragraph, and I think they do is so they can lie to themselves. Like, someone does care about my thoughts. Whereas on Twitter, you can't even lie to yourself. You put the thought there, and it gets like two likes and zero engagement. Yeah. Someone, you know, re- replies, shut the fuck up. You know, you can't even lie to yourself. But you can put the cheeks clapping and then put, it's a strong journey to go from having no confidence <laughs> to where I am now. And, you know, you look at the matchup that they do I'm talking about. They'd be yeah. like, yo, yo, you know, people told me I look funny. They yeah. told me that I was no one's ever gonna take me seriously. But then I learned and you could change shit put a long that they'll put some type of Exactly, or they'll put some type of body positive. But yes, you know, I've never yeah. always been I've never been satisfied with my body. I have uh stretch marks, but you know, I'm all natural and I'm not ashamed. You know, shut shut up, man. You look like Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. They put like like a quote like, you know, a man once said that a flower that grows in the spring, love but not appreciated, but a tree that grows in the fall does whatever. (laughs) And that that, that's a quote by a Zen master. You know know what I'm talking about? They put like these like deep quotes. It's like, why are you asking? Roses even grow in the concrete sometimes, you know, shit like that. Yeah, exactly. Get the fuck out of here. You know, but it's like to go back to the uh, whole do they do it on purpose thing with like the diaspora stuff. I just think, you know, people are kind of like with ADOS, there's a history of we live and die here. You know, like you can't compare a migration. Like some people try to do this disingenuous thing of comparing the great migration from the south to the north with immigration but it's not the same thing like you're still living fighting bleeding and dying in the country that you built you know what i'm saying and reforming that same country you're just moving to a different region like it's not the same as packing up and kind of throwing in the towel on your home country that's true and going you know so i think there's a certain type of admirable there's something admirable about doing that it's not easy to get up like i don't want people to think that i'm kind of shitting on doing that because it's hard in a different way like can you imagine like going someplace where you barely know anybody different language whatever it's gonna be like yo i'm picking up everything a whole different country and culture and just make it go over there like like it's it's admirable in its own way but it's not something that a smooth fit with say generations of fighting against a, a oppressive majority in your own country and making strides like that and I we're think, almost you know, nomads in our own country in a lot of ways yeah yeah so people say that like yeah. there's kind of a internal colonialism that happens like like black america is almost like a colony within um but it's not even like a sovereign it's right a we're still at the, a, yeah we're still at the whim and and wherefores of uh the oppressors you know what i mean it's like it, it's it's very interesting that dynamic I don't think that it's really more class-based. I think that's a myth. I think that what happens, what really happens is without the racial component being as overt, you know, at most you have more like a colorism thing and, you know, you don't really have a real white overclass to the same degree. Um, The class dynamics are able to rise to the surface, but... If you read books like Our Kind of People and read about like the Boule and the Blue Vein Society and Paper Bag Tests and the Louisiana Creoles and the Free Slaves and all these things, you start realizing like there's a very heavy class component to um, ADOS interracial things too that gets kind of subsumed and overwhelmed by the historic racial racial struggle. So I think that's... but. It's not even just a black thing here. In general, America in general has a very poor class vocabulary. And I think if anything, that's a real reason why it's so hard to create that poor white, poor black uh, coalition because too many um, 
white people would rather cling to the benefits of whiteness over uh, lock arms with other poor non-whites. You know what I mean? They they want to join. They kind of value their whiteness more than than a, cl- a class based. Yeah. Yeah. Alliances or whatever. Yeah, they, they view the class yeah. thing as situational in a situation that they don't even really like. Like, like who wants to make an identity around being poor? It's almost like ascribing permanence to it. Like, you know, you, you don't yeah. want that to be it. admitting defeat. Yeah. 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 Like, mm-hmm. and, and the myth of the American dream, the Horatio Alger thing is very against that. Whereas I think in Europe, there's more of a tradition of a fatalism about that type of stuff. Like, you know, this is where my, Man. this is where my people are from, you know? Uh, we've come from like thousands of years of like, you know, of this and that's yeah. what they're able, I think, to do better B- besides the racial homogeny. Uh, so they're able to focus more on class, like not her- not racially homogenous anymore. But at the time when these social democracies, uh, this democratic socialism was popping up, they were a lot more racially homogenous and it was easier for them to kind of focus on the class thing. But also they're old, like they have like 10,000 years of being from, you can't do that temporarily embarrassed millionaire thing when your people have been that for like, you know, since the days of dirt, you know what I mean? Right, right. True that, true that. Yeah, yeah. So so I don't think it's unique to black people in America. I think America in general is very bad as far as forming a class uh, vocabulary. Conversely, I think Europe is bad at developing a, a race vocabulary. I think they're kind of doing it now, but they have a, and they even think they're above it in some yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, they think they're above yeah. it as part of their um, underdeveloped. They have an underdeveloped race vocabulary, and they mistake it with being more evolved on race, which is that's not really what it is at all. They don't just they're just so under evolved on it. They don't even have a vocabulary. They're under evolved and under tested. Yeah. They've never really had it tested until now, and they're failing like wildly, like you know, miserably. Like see- yeah, they've allowed some some really violent strains of racism to kind of foster <clears throat> as yeah. as a. Uh, you know, when they're not being paying attention to that issue. Man. Yep, uh, yep. And they still it's really sad And they still like have a superiority complex to America as far as race. Meanwhile, like the type of Donald Trump things that we're dealing with now, a lot of that happened there first with their far right resurgences, you know. Um, yeah, but yeah. but uh, to go back to what you you asked, so I think um, that class thing is here too. But ADOS don't really have a uh, history of talking about it because they're too busy trying to fight for uh, racial justice. Or they talk about it, but it's always been kind of secondary. And nobody, white or black, is very good at uh, discussing race. That's why socialism is a hard time taking root here. So I'm saying that to go to your second question about what about. ADOS people who move from the hood versus the Nipsies, right? This is what I have noticed, right? If you look at those Blavity Blacks and all that stuff, something that a lot of uh, that ADOS anti-immigrant um, crowd or whatever like to do is try to paint the whole blue check thing or the Blavity Black thing as all these African and Caribbean first and second gens who have no respect for ADOS. But what you really have to look at is there's a lot of ADOS in that shit, you know? Yeah. Like, um, and mm-hmm. that's where the class component comes in. Like, if I come from the ADOS who are the domestic version of what the immigrants did, which is, you know, I'm I'm upwardly mobile in my home country. I can afford to come here. Uh, I'm also somebody who's not going to stay behind and reform. You know, I'm not a reformer. I'm someone who's an individual striver, right? And they come here mm. and what they're doing is they're trying to move into neighborhoods with other people of their country, eventually move around white people, right? And they end up alongside the ADOS 
who did the same thing within America, which is like, you know, we want to leave the hood behind. All we care about is raising our kids among white people. You know, we, right. that's all we want to do. To a certain degree, they're going to have a higher solidarity. That 80 West that you described is going to mm -hmm. have a higher solidarity, probably that Nigerian family. That white class that, oh, I see. Yeah, or that Caribbean family so, who, you know, gotcha. also wants to live among white people. Live amongst. Be, yeah. be in the suburbs, look down on the niggers and stuff. So, if you notice a lot of this fuckery that happens, like you look at slave play, like one of the first things a lot of that online ADOS crowd ask is, is that guy ADOS? No, sorry, is that guy on um, Caribbean? They're trying to look at you. Yeah. And it's like, no, he's from the South. He's like ADOS as they come. He's from Virginia. But, you know, if you look at his history, he was went to all white schools, went to private schools. So he'd have more in common in terms of class with, with some of those people than he would with uh, with ADOS. Yeah, but, but, but also you got to think about it. If Nigerians and Haitians and Jamaicans and all these people make up a majority of the black people in these spaces. If you're if you are an ADOS, unless you're especially conscious or loyal, you know, like like say you're an ADOS, but you grew up in white spaces. It's like say you didn't grow up in an ADOS and then got there as a college student or or got to the Ivy later. Say you grew up in like, you know, one of the only black kids around and stuff. You probably have more kinship or more in common or whatever with first, second generation uh Nigerian, Haitian, or Jamaican than you do with, you know, somebody who's like from Mississippi. South Central. Yeah, yeah or South Central or, you know, whatever, you know, so or, or whatever. So I, I, I think that's, I think that's what it, I think that's what it is. Like, you can't really just, I think there's a class coalition that also has to be taken into account. And some of the most virulent anti-Yvette Carnell, anti-Tone Talks people are other ADOS. And they'll, they'll appear on Joy Reid's show and they'll both be like Harvard grads and be shit talking the ADOS as like, you know, bots. One of the most heartbreaking things that I had to come to, you know, to terms with, man, was seeing other black people being more contentious with us and, you know, our group and our aims um, than even some white people were. And, you know, seeing them sit up with uh, with white people in opposition to the things that we were trying to do for the black for the black youth in our schools and things like that. And it was just um, I couldn't understand that at first because I had no idea about the class component. But then I found out that um, a lot of these people were, you know, a part of that boule crowd. A lot of them um, come from you know a certain um dynamic where you know they're 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 uh you know sororities fraternities um a lot of them come from that maryland area where you know it's a lot of uh, well-to-do black people in those areas and shit like that some of the parts of it of uh, georgia where you know you have some well-to-do black people and um you know and and i i didn't understand that man and um you know so we found you know, out the hard way yeah you know i think it's a great psychological revelation of that the fervor around uh, Black Panther and Wakanda, like, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people look at that, they look at that and they think, yo, uh, this is about like Africa or whatever. And, but really Wakanda is ADOS. Like, like Wakanda is like oh, as much class based as it is diaspora based. Like, like that, that type of snobby boule or wannabe boule or blavity black ADO West type, they like love the idea of Wakanda. You know, they kind of aspire to the idea of being from like connected to like Africa and the kingdom, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, to, to, to me, like, I don't think that's something that's like paying more tribute to Africans than it is to ADO West. Like it resonates with too many ADO West 
for that to be the case. This is a certain type of ADOS, if you notice, you know? Especially the way we romanticize Africa. The way that a lot of ADOS romanticize Africa is reflected in Wakanda in a lot of ways. Yeah, and if if you... And the same thing with Crazy Rich Asians, like, you know, uh, Crazy Rich Asians is really about Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. It's really something for Asian Americans and like a certain type of fantasy that they want to have more than it is really about China. Like I heard it didn't even do that great there. It was something that really resonated with, even though it technically took place abroad. And I think that same mindset that, you know, makes them think that's kind of dope, you know, uh, is the same thing that will make them more comfortable joining forces and working with Nigerian Americans or Haitian Americans or, you know, Jamaican Americans in their Ivy League school, mm-hmm. where they're outnumbered by them anyway, you know, go along to get along, then to um, go back and build in the hood with other ADOs that they didn't even grow up around or go to school with, frankly, kind of embarrass them, like, because... They're, they're from that. They see that and that's like, oh, it's like what white people feel like with their redneck cousins. cousins yeah. You know? I think I think a lot of them kind of feel that way when they see the so-called cookout backs, even mm-hmm. though now it's kind of cool to kind of give nods to the cookout for like, uh, I guess, street cred with whatever. But they don't really want anything to do with that. No, nah, I don't think so either. You know, I just thought that was a fascinating, uh, fascinating parallel, man. I don't know. You know, um. Like I said, it was a heartbreaking revelation for me, man. That, um, yeah, I sad. Yeah, and I think it's still under. I think it's still under discussed. Like I think it's kind of cool that there's more diaspora talk happening, but I would like it to be kind of coupled with the class talk because I feel it has like to be now. Yeah, because now there's this kind of overcompensation where I just see these like ADOS people online just you know making thinking that every single bad thing or every single coonish or sell-off thing that's happening out there you can just tie it all to non-ADOS and they're going to be in for like a very rude, rude awakening yeah Think, thinking that there are a lot of ADOS strivers and coons and whatever out there uh, a ton of them and yeah yeah oh this is the last thing I was going to say about I started getting on this and I got sidetracked uh, you know when we were talking about I said how people have to understand the difference between like the different uses of black. When Issa Rae was talking about how she can't get with the black, you know, she's going to, you know, get with an Asian guy, whatever, and stuff. And then mm-hmm. it was announced she was engaged to a black guy. Yeah. And all these black people said, oh, see that? Y'all so stupid. You fell for it. You know, she does date black people and all this stuff. And, you know, uh, you thought she... And it's like... But he's like a Senegalese, like, entrepreneur or something, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. She didn't get with uh, ADOS. And that's what I think people understand. Like, he's black. He's not someone that's going to make her son of father be like, how dare you bring home that black guy? You right, know? Like, right, right. Like, like, a lot of these African fathers will be like, how dare you bring home a black guy? And what they'll be talking about is uh, ADOS. But at the same time, if you ask them what race they are, they'll be like, oh, but of course I'm black. Right. You know, like, and that's what I think when I talk about that night, that naivete like the people don't understand that like uh i think what she was really saying is if i can't get you know african prince uh or maybe like a top tier ados guy like like an ados guy that's like so top tier that you know he's almost an honorary not ados right by their logic mm-hmm. i'm gonna skip over and go straight to uh uh an asian guy right and stuff but but yeah she, she got her senegalese uh so but it doesn't yeah. really uh disprove the other stuff that she said which is why i think people people don't under don't understand and i wish people can kind of um get that a little bit more but that whole not all skin folk or kin folk you know 
Yeah, and yeah. not all ADLS apparently either, man. It's uh. Yeah, that's true. I do definitely want us to get uh, a better understanding of that class component, though, man. That's one thing that uh, I'm still working on, even myself. You know, I don't, I don't want yeah. people to get the the same type of rude awakening that I got because you know, man. I'm gonna tell you this, man, um, and then I'll leave that alone. Um, mm-hmm. I would say we've had more black people be an obstacle to uh, our work than even white people, man. You know, which is which, oh, was, I totally which was stunning to me. Like I, I even to this day, I, I it's just like I said earlier, man, it's 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 incredible. But we've actually had probably yeah. from a from a certain the, group of, of yeah. You know. The beauty of it is that all the white people have put generations of the poison in us. Yeah, and once the poison is in the race, they don't have to do much. You know, they just drop that self hate poison in you, and you know, we do the rest. Yeah. And it, it works. Like a problem, yeah, 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 for sure. And I think that's going to be the next uh, rude, rude awakening when all these people who think they can solve all their black unity problems by just drawing a hard line in the sand around ADOS or a hard line in the sand around, you know, diaspora or whatever, are going to start realizing how that, deep the hey, poison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And start realizing, hey, we got this ADOS side, but we got a lot of fuck elite coons and Ugh, man. Hood, hood coons. And, and that's the other thing. I don't want oh. to say that it's all just like the rich people that are coons. Oh, no. Have yeah. The hood coons, yeah. like, like like the boosies, like the boosies yeah. and stuff like that. And the Kodak Black. <laughs> and, the like, ASAP, and the ASAP Rockies and those yeah. dudes. Yeah. The Con. Mm-hmm. Well, Kanye's not of, really a hood coon, but. Yeah. But, because there's two times. There's a kind of, like the parents kind of raise them not to be. I hate using this term, but it's a term they use. That's what I'm using it. Uh, I don't want to be wearing the Pookie and Ray Rays and stuff, mm-hmm. but I think the hood the hood coon originates from a different dynamic. Where, where the hood coon, it's everybody I know has been bad to me has been black. Like like I've been yeah. interacting with that many white people, mm-hmm. so it's like I associate everything bad. Like like it's not it's not white people that you know did drive bys on me on my block. It's not white people who like when I blew up. Like for for a lot of uh, those people, the first time they interacted with white people that weren't cop when they blew up some how like they um became famous so they go straight from seeing no white people to seeing white people are kissing their ass mm. and they just think you know what black people shit on me all my life uh white people treat me nice i'm with the white people i think that's how a lot of these uh hood coons athletics and uh rap get formed like you know yeah and, and they gotta deal with drive-bys janky family whatever and then like they don't understand proximity coach. yeah yeah a scout or a coach or a um record exec or whatever is like some of the first white people they met yeah a model scout whatever and they just think oh you know but the ones who end up cutting them the deepest sometimes man like especially back in the day when dudes didn't really like i feel like modern athletes and shit like that are or tad bit more savvy in terms of business and shit like that yeah. but that first crop of athlete when they really started making money man and you know they got away from their people boy oh, they got yeah. beat so bad man the shit that like jerry heller with nwa and oh and, yeah and, they yeah. beat them for yeah yeah they found out later like yeah. you know they will they will lure you with the honey and then catch you in the trap you know like, but those dudes almost got beat out of generations of like the man but, but you know the same thing happens with uh, relationship wise like yeah. a lot of those dudes the first girlfriends or wives were like black and you know like you know we are we put all our grievances up front on front street so you can be see like your black girlfriend is argumentative or your black husband is like you know uh hard to deal with up front but white people will marry you and 
and be sweet to you for like, you know, that full 10 years and uh, isolate you from your family gradually and then take you for your whole estate. That's what happened to R- Richard Pryor's uh, white yeah. wife. She took his whole estate. You know what I'm saying? Jesus, she, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. And he tells his story. He, he worked into his humor, like, you know, how his black girlfriends and stuff were. And that was just typical, like, you know, black dysfunction. But it was like that front loaded shit, you know, whereas... Mm-hmm. His very demure white wife, she isolated from his family and she talks terrible about his black family now wow. that he's dead. Oh, it's man. It's really sad to see on YouTube. It's so, you know, and he was a little bit kind of uh, soft in the, he seemed a little bit out of it in his later years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she really, um, and, and she started like cutting those deals with his with his likeness that were not very flattering. Some of the things that um, she licensed his likeness for were not too not too hot. Yeah, you hate to hear stuff like that, man. And uh, we seem to have a, we we. There's gonna be lessons that we keep learning, man. Uh, you know, um, as the, even the, even though they're getting more and more savvy in terms of business and stuff like that, man, you still see at the that's at the very top level, but at the middle to the bottom levels, man, you still see stories like that all the time. You know. Yep. yep and yep. Um, I don't know what it's gonna take yeah. to learn, man, but it, it is what yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I'm done, and yeah, we've gone a little bit. I know over it's late where you are, huh? Yeah. All right, bro. Yeah, all right, man. All right, bro. Good, man. All right, man. You too, man. Peace. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, bro.